Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, you are invited to listen in on a private mastermind conversation as people who serve from the intersection of their brilliance and their passion share ideas, create inspirations, and generate fresh ideas that can give you the cutting edge for something you're looking to accomplish today. Imagine yourself sitting out on a veranda or sitting out at a pub or hanging out at a seminar somewhere. And you're meeting somebody and you're having a conversation that could inspire you. Have your pad of paper and two pens out to capture those aha moments that will naturally arise as you enjoy what you're about to hear. What we're going to cover today is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Building your A-team through technology. This is going to be something perhaps a little bit different than what you may think of on the surface when you hear a phrase like that. We are going to be discussing how to use, among other things, artificial intelligence to help you with your recruiting. We're also going to perhaps get into conversations about how technology can also facilitate your team building. There are so many exciting places we may or could go with this, and we're about to begin that journey to walk with us on that journey we have michael yinger he's a senior excuse me a seasoned senior executive with experience creating building and managing organizations and providing strategic advice via board of directors membership both in the united states and internationally throughout his career mr yinger has delivered positive results sales growth of 10 to 20 percent in a down market dealt with senior level clients at the cxo level and established efficient organizations and partnerships in various industries within startups and established companies. Ooh, talking my language. Michael Yanger, come on in, the weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're just, uh, I'm just hanging out here in uh, sumptuous Las Vegas. I'm waiting for them to start b- stop blowing the leaves outside so I, can uh-huh. go to our, so I can go to our studio, which happens to be my balcony. And uh, but until then, we'll hang, I'm hanging out on the couch, and uh, my office supervisor is sitting next to me. We like to be comfortable, and we like to have some fun. Now, I read off your official bio. Uh, it's so impressive that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. But what we like to do is get to know our guests a little bit. And so, tell us a bit about something about your journey or your inspiration that has led you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, th- th- thank you for that, because you're right, the the bio, it's a picture. Uh, um, I, I listen to it and wonder, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had a very... Um, I've had a very interesting career. I, I believe I've had an interesting career. I've, I've spent the last nearly 20 years in the talent acquisition space, um, uh-huh. obviously very germane to what we're talking about today, through a variety of roles, uh, sales, client delivery, implementation, uh-huh. technology, product management. Immediately prior to that, I was in technology consulting, uh, primarily in the early days of, of web enablement. And prior to that, I spent uh, about 20 years in the transportation industry. So it, it's fun to see how those things sort of come together. What it's done is it's given me a really broad perspective on what's possible across multiple industries. Yeah. You, know, you could say, well, okay, I'll be a vertical expert at this one industry for my entire life. 
well, okay, and if that's all you've ever done, are you really thinking about the best things in the world or just the best things in your industry? Yeah. So, so it just I've I've had that opportunity to to work across a, a couple of uh, different careers, and uh, matter of fact, just coincidentally, I'm working with a client today where it's a transportation client. And I'm helping them in the talent acquisition space. So I have managed to bring together the two largest portions of my career into one client. It's pretty exciting. Wow. And as somebody who has multiple lines of business and is successfully, at least in a couple cases, managed to combine one client into both sides of my business, I find that particularly exciting. Now, yeah. speaking of my business, and this is part of why I mentioned speaking with you, I know that you uh, have some different things you're doing and I'm real excited to hear about them. But what inspired me to want to speak with you is in part of my work through the Business Creators Institute, I work with uh, entrepreneurial ventures to create systems and simple processes driven by technology to effectively coordinate the work of their virtual teams. Mm -hmm. Virtual teams tend to be asynchronous. They're not all working at the same time. And if you want your if you want your team of consultants, your team of contractors, what have you, to continue to pass the test that allows you to avoid paying payroll taxes, among the things you cannot do is start telling them they have to be available at certain times or deliver certain things according to certain process. You have to be very careful they don't look like they're an employee. So you have to be sensitive to the fact that you. it has to be very clear that you're not instructing them like they're an employee. And this is where we come in. We work with you to, to integrate to a simple, and it's, it's your choice, uh, technological platform that allows you to use some of the principles that I espouse through the spring formula that I created that enables you to inspire people to actually care about deadlines and meet them by creating dependencies mm -hmm. and value in exchange for what's been done. I know some of what you do is a little bit different, but actually that's where I want to start. I want to get a sense of your views today of what I originally thought this was going to be about when I heard your topic, uh, you know, building your A team through technology. So let's say you, uh, you already have a team of people working for you. How does technology and how does process from your experience facilitate that team working together effectively and adding massive value to the organization? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a really meaty question. Yeah, Adam, uh, there are a couple of couple of ways that immediately come to mind, and I'm going to distinguish between technology and process. There are technology tools, and one of our partners with uh, my company it has a, a technology tool that allows you to evaluate the capabilities of your people, their human potential. And so you can use that to fine tune people's uh, behavior, people's capabilities in the organization. Now, you take that a step further, you can use technology to do things like categorize your people. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, all too often, no. I, um, I, I was talking to a senior business leader who happens to be my younger brother, and yeah. he works for a very large technology company that believes that what they can do is they can solve all their problems by simply pulling people from various places in the organization to create teams. Well, it's, it's a good theory. Two challenges that they have. One, they don't have any way of knowing who's really got the skills other than what's in somebody's head. Oh, I remember so-and-so knew how to do this and that, and therefore let's bring them on the team, right? Well, that's not effective. Right. The second is they, they're not taking into consideration the fact that there's the, the people side of it, that their projects are, are multi-year projects. And how do you just pull somebody from the East Coast to work on a multi-year project in Texas? Yeah, just as an example. So technology can help with that kind of a situation. What are your people capable of and are you matching them with the kind of opportunities internally that they're most effective at. So that's that's a sort of a, um, a mobility and a usage perspective. Now, building on something you said really, really um, positively triggered me around managing the organization using processes. One of the one of the biggest challenges that I find with most organizations and also with individuals within organizations is making and managing agreements, and that's a process. Are you clear on the agreements that you're asking people to accomplish? 
Are you clear on the follow-up? Are you clear on what it looks like? And then do you hold them to those agreements? And so this that's all a process on how to better run your organization by agreeing what somebody's gonna do, holding them accountable for completing it, and using that as the, the method of managing what's going on as opposed to the often subjective tool of performance management. Because right. after all, you know, performance, did you make enough phone calls? Well, is it really the making the phone calls or is it the results of the phone calls? And so there's, there's some really interesting nuance to that, but that's a, that's a huge process opportunity that most companies, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's something they have to be willing to jump into. Yeah, I can give a couple examples. Uh, one of my first jobs after I finished my undergrad degree was working for a temporary staffing agency as a recruiter. This is that job that was, uh, and some of our listeners will be familiar with, uh, so horrible that I celebrate the day I was forced to resign is literally <laughs> my second birthday, April 27th. And the reason I do that is because uh, I was a 23-year-old person, uh, and I uh, ended up being forced to resign from this, and, uh, and, I, and I hated the job. I mean, it was causing me, it was causing me physical pain. Uh, now, I discovered two things as a result of that experience. Number one, if you leave a job without having another job lined up, that's not really a problem, number one. Number two hmm. is that... Number two is that it is possible if a situation is untenable that you can just walk away from it. Now, I had been told, oh, you have to be loyal and you're just going to have to deal with that shit because if you quit that job or you get fired and you don't have another job, you ain't going to get another job. BS. Uh, I, <laughs> I, the, the irony is April 27th, 2000 was a Thursday. The Monday, that Monday morning, I was on a temp assignment, you know, as a temp with their competitor getting paid almost twice per hour than what that recruiter job was paying me on average. And in fact, I lost that temporary assignment three weeks later because I was getting so many interviews for real jobs That's that, I could, crazy, not, that I could not commit to the assignment. See, the nature of temp work is within reason they, they give you flexibility to attend an interview for a permanent job unless because that's just part of the deal. But I was at the point where I was uh, needing to take time off three days a week. And they said, well, we can't deliver that to our clients. So unfortunately, we have to end the assignment. I said, well, I'm probably going to have a job offer anyway. So uh, love you. Thanks. Uh, so that so I, so I bring that up for that reason. Now, the, now what? One of the things that was going on there is they had a couple of really awful metrics for how they compensated us as recruiters. Number one, even though we were placing new temps with clients every, every week of the month, almost every day in some cases, our bonuses were calculated only based on what activity we generated the last week of the month. Hmm. There is no logical explanation. I've tried. The other piece is, is the primary concern that they seemed to have was how was how, how much outgoing phone calling activity we had. Now, when we attempted to be innovative about, well, let's see, uh, here are some you know, ways we could potentially find hidden job openings or places where somebody might actually need a temp and just not know it yet. Here are some places we can source that. Uh, here are some places where we can find people who may be in transition between jobs or who may be uh, the year 2000 version of a gig worker or a freelancer who might not mind picking up a temp assignment. And uh, these people were found on this thing called the internet. <laughs> well, uh, we were forbidden from using the internet. Uh, so, and then they, and then they would constantly criticize our lists of people that we would come up to, with the call when we were being specifically denied a primary source. So I figured out that I could hang in there for a while as long as I demonstrated that I had large amounts of outgoing phone time. So you know what I did? Yep, you. Uh, I called. You, I called yeah. <laughs> my friends, and I and I made and I and I made sure to call them from a variety of places, and I made calls to them at their homes, at their cell phones, at their work, 
at their other friends' places. Uh, I just worked, and and sometimes it was a matter of I'd page their their beepers because some people still had pagers at that at that time. So I created I created something that looked like I was speaking with a bunch of people, figuring that uh, since they were just looking at an aggregate number, they probably were not going to really get too deep into what those numbers really were, and they didn't. So I bring that up as a classic example of what you mean. You're measuring the wrong item. I was involved with a yeah. startup once that uh, actually ended up becoming quite successful, but only after it restarted after I left. And it seemed like most of our conversations, at least for the first few weeks, were about standards for being accessible to each other. Meaning if somebody texts you, how many minutes before you respond? If somebody emails you, how many minutes before you respond? I'm thinking, okay, if this is what we're going to talk about, uh, then I can do this at home and uh, we'll just all go on WhatsApp. So again, it's, uh, but in the meantime, there's not a lot of conversation about, well, uh, what are we experimenting with, even if we don't fully know the answers or the reasons why necessarily to extend opportunities to prospects to engage with us, perhaps even buy from us. So again, uh, metrics great, but what are they measuring? Yeah, it's it's so true. Uh, it, it, uh, metrics metrics are important, and it's they need to be ones which are um, actionable and they're tied to the work that's being done. Um, I had one particular client, and <coughs> we were measuring probably forty different things, mm -hmm. and so we had dedicated people just to do the measurement. And it, you know, it, it, I can't say that there was a real advantage to that, that measuring the things that they had us measuring. It's, it's sometimes you measure things just because somebody thinks you need to measure it and they're just not paying attention to whether it's really adding to the process. And I mean, your, your story is, is phenomenal, both funny and, and sad in terms of, uh -huh. of what can happen when somebody is doing something for the sake of doing it, not because they really understand what it is that um, they're trying to accomplish you know is is it results or is it activity what are you being measured on and what's what's important and all too often we confuse activity with results right and that's where you you, you sort of lose the you, you lose the thread at that point yeah in, in in my writings i refer to that as activity in place of action or activity versus action because uh, we can all create activities. And what I just thought of right now, and this is something I began to see a lot of once I moved into the entrepreneurial space and dealing with clients is uh, I used to have a web development firm and there's this big thing of, well, make sure we have Google Analytics on the site. It's very important we have Google Analytics on the site. It's like, yes, I know. You copy paste the code from Google Analytics and you go to the WordPress team and you find the place where you paste in the tracking code that goes above the above the closing head tag. For the fifth time, I need your damn password to log in. Uh, that was that piece of the conversation. And the second piece was, uh, well, we need a report on analytics. I need to know what's going on on my website. Uh, okay, what do you need a report on? Everything. We need to know all of it. <laughs> and you're gonna do and you're gonna do what with this well well we, we need to know so that we know how the business is doing okay that's really great so you're asking my firm to actually designate one of our team members to essentially take all the data in your google analytics which you can log into at any time and work it into a document that's going to lack what the analytics control panel has, which is to change date ranges on the fly and have real-time data. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's important. I gotta know my numbers, I gotta know my numbers. And then I asked the zinger, what are you gonna do with these numbers? Exactly, what are you uh, gonna do with it? Well, we're gonna use them to, we're gonna use them to improve the marketing. Uh, how are you gonna improve the marketing? Uh, what, what, are you gonna, what are you gonna do with this? And I, now I already knew some things you could do with that. You could look at, uh, you could look at referral source data to indicate time zones you should send your emails. You could also find out based on geography where your message is hitting at certain times of day and find where your concentrations of viewers are because that could influence the type of content if you go into local trends to meet that audience. I mean, those are just three things off the top of my head. But the point I make is that so many folks will go through the process of collating data 
without even a plan to use it. But they just want to check off the box that I have my numbers. Yeah, that's exactly and right. It wastes, and it wastes everybody's time. Yeah, yeah. I've got the numbers. So now, you know, now I know what to do. You know, it doesn't matter that I don't know what to do with them. And then what yeah. you do is you end up spending all your time collecting and never spend any time analyzing and then putting those numbers to use. Uh-huh. And so then, then you, you know, if if you if you thought about it, then you'd really begin to question, well, why was I doing that in the first place? But of course, nobody thinks about that. Yeah, uh, I I worked with a client who uh, sold a lot of info products, and they wanted a weekly written report on the product on on the sales on their card. They wanted to know a handful of basic things. They wanted to know how much in new sales in which products, how much in recurring revenue in which products. How many new orders failed? How many recurring orders failed? Because they wanted to see what was selling, how their retention, how their retention and stick factor was doing. They wanted to have a process for consistently identifying failed new orders to reinforce to the customer support team to actually follow up and try and get them to close a deal. Hmm. And they wanted the same thing for their recurring revenue. Because they, again, just the fact that report was being done was surfacing as a ping to the customer service team. Hey, let's keep this number down. And, uh, and, let's, and, and next week, let's look and see how many, of these, how many of these you managed to close or resolve. So it only took a few minutes to create that report. Very simple. But it served two purposes. It let the client see their raw sales numbers, which told them what their bank account should look like. And it showed the organization where the money was being left on the table and specifically where to go to pick it up. Hmm. Because, because an incomplete order is easier to close than an order that was never started. A recurring order is easier to get caught up than it is to convince a new subscriber to join. You know, That's the entire so range. That's the entire range. The report didn't have anything else. They yeah. didn't want anything else. Yeah, that's it. And again, you know, you're, you're pointing to numbers which can actually help you do something with the business. And all too often, the, the numbers just they don't drive anything, they don't drive behavior, uh, or they're, they're not controllable by the people that that you're holding to the numbers. Those are the most frustrating, frustrating yeah. kind, right? That it's you're, you're holding somebody, let's say you're holding a recruiter to a set of numbers, and they don't control the outcome. And so, yeah. you know, how do you how do you manage them for that? It's uh, it, it, it's some thinking that has to go into it, and often doesn't. That's the challenge. Right. So uh, again, uh, the sa the same client decided at one point they wanted analytics data of some sort. Mm -hmm. They had a bottom line for that too. They wanted to split test headlines on sales letters and see which version won. And they wanted to have intelligence on in their long form sales letters, which clicks on which buttons and links were generating the most volume of clicks and the highest volume of sales, all of which could be easily realized through tracking software. Yeah, there's 20 other things they could have asked for in the name of I want my numbers, but they focused on the elements that they actually plan to do something about. Okay. Knowing that at any time they could layer on more. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild see, stuff. Yeah, but this is but this is one of those inspirational moments of, you know, we're looking at technology. So we've already identified some ways that technology helps teams work together more efficiently and also how the technology can drive data collection. So what I want to do now is I want to pivot here. We're about halfway through. And uh, you are actually here to talk about something a little bit different. So normally I don't say, tell us about your businesses soon, but I love your model and I'd like you to explain it to us now uh, over at Res Resume Civ. Okay, sure. The model that you're talking about is that we're, we're at the front end of the recruiting process. We yeah. look at the resume and evaluate the the skills that are present and then we rank and order all the resumes that you're considering for a particular position right this 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 does a bunch of things for you one it's much faster 
to do it this way than do it the old-fashioned way, which is to go through the resumes. You know, you hear the stats, a recruiter spends 30 seconds on a resume. Right. Well, yeah, because that's the first 30 seconds when they're going through to decide, does this person have Java? Uh, that's what I really need. And so here's the Java mm -hmm. stack or, you know, whatever the case may be. In, in our case, you define the criteria that you're looking for, and then you evaluate all the resumes against that set of criteria, and they come back rank ordered. Right. And that way you, you, you can look at the people who most closely match what it is that you need for the job. Uh -huh. And so that it saves time, it's repeatable, it's compliant because you're not looking at their name. Well, you might be, you can't get away from human nature, right? But the system is not mm -hmm. looking at their name. The system's not looking at their address. The system's not adding any sort of bias to it. The system is just saying, are the skills on the resume or not? And if they are, how long have they used them? How recently have they used them? Do they have the degree that you're looking for? Whatever the case may be, whatever's written on that document. And it doesn't matter what the resume looks like because that's where the AI comes in. The, uh, the, the system that's reading the resume is learning how to read resumes. Yeah. It's not excluding things. It's just realizing that sometimes people put their skills in the front. Sometimes they put their skills on the bottom. Sometimes everything is side by side, all kinds of different formats. If you've seen mm -hmm. resumes, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and, and then you add to that the, the component of, well, I've analyzed my resumes. Oh, I've got some more. Now what do I do? You have to analyze those again, right? I, I, yeah. I, I, I was speaking with a uh, talent acquisition leader early on in our, our process, and she's, she was sharing with me. She said, we posted a recruiter job, and we got 700 applicants in 36 hours, and so I, I can't stop the posting. Okay, good. What did you do then? She said, we printed out all the resumes. Four of us spent three weeks reviewing all the resumes and to come up with the, the, the slate and then ultimately the person we were gonna hire. And I said, okay, well, you know, what, what was wrong with that? And she said, well, I probably wanted number 701. Yeah, uh -huh. the, the person who comes on in on the last day and how do you evaluate them against everybody else? So it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of, of intuitive logic to this in terms of recruiting process and making recruiting process simpler and less onerous for the recruiter. You know, if, if you've done resume evaluation, let's just imagine you've got 50 resumes, which is not yeah. a, a huge number. The average these days, I know that there's certain jobs where the average is, is pretty small just because of what's going on with the economy, but the nationwide average is about 35 to 40 applicants per position. Right. Let's say you got the, the 50 resumes. You read the first 10, okay. Now you're on number 11 and you get to number 20. Are you still looking at them at the, in the same way? No. At 20 <laughs> Do you even remember what it was that you were looking for or why you eliminated this person and not that person? Uh -huh. Or, okay, now this never happens and I'm lying. It happens all the time. You go to the hiring manager and say, okay, you told me X, Y, and Z. Here are the five people with X, Y, and Z. And the hiring manager says, you know, I'm really thinking it's X, Y, and Q. Can you go back and look again? Well, then you have to go back through the whole process. With our system, you just go in, you change whatever that criteria was, you rerun it, it's literally a matter of seconds, and now you have a new list. You can even do this with the hiring manager on the phone. The hiring manager says, well, what if I did this? Or what if I was looking for that? Great, here, let me just change these couple of little settings. Rerun everything. Okay, here's your list. You know, it's it's just it's all to it's all to get people past the critical step, but often mundane step of analyzing the resume and get to the point of making a decision about the person, not only based on the resume, but also based on their you know their where they've worked, the experience, the other things that you're looking for. Right? That's you, you got to get into all of that. Yeah, I've heard it said that like requirements for a job are often wish lists more than they are actual requirements. I mean, that's yeah. not always the case. Sometimes there is a specific thing you need to know, but there are a couple tropes out there that actually do carry some validity and fact-based essence to them. One of which is uh, you have entry-level jobs that require eight years of experience. Right. And that's sometimes because hiring managers, whoever's writing the job description, say, oh, I want somebody with 10 years experience. And it's an entry-level job. 
Right. You ain't going to get somebody with eight years experience. And if uh, somebody for, with eight years experience is applying to this job, are you sure you want them? I mean, let's just be candid. Uh, because, you know, either they're candidly somebody who doesn't really have it on the ball, or they may be taking this position because they hit a roadblock somewhere. And as soon as they get back on the path, they're going to quit anyway. You don't want that. That's, no, that's, that's one item. That's, that's exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yep. Here's the yeah, other, yeah, and yeah. here's the yep. other one. Yep. And you, and you see this more and more on social media. And this is particularly in engineering and information technology jobs where the, res, where the job description will require applicants to have 10 years experience with a certain software or a certain script. The developer of that script or program will say, oh, you're asking for 10 years experience? That's interesting. I only developed this software four years ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, 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 this, and this has happened many times already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. It's true that the 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 likelihood of mutually exclusive uh, criteria is is uh, very high. It's very high. And then and let me just build on that to say that a very common situation is that you, you talked about a wish list when you were talking about you know what ends up sometimes happening in job description. Somebody is the the job. That that kind of a person doesn't exist in the world. The the kind of skills that they expect somebody to have, you know, you have to be. And I'll be silly here, but you you have to be a lumberjack, and you have to know you have to be able to 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 do um, synchronized swimming at the same time. Yes, it, it, you know, people just don't exist that way, and you know there there is a there isn't uh, there certainly is a there's an art to writing job descriptions more so than just what is required which is what we're talking about but also making that job attractive to somebody particularly today uh i was speaking with a um, a guy who's made his entire career um, as a sorcerer that's what he does yeah he's the only certified sorcerer in canada um and and his point is that yet if you're not creating the job description that actually attracts somebody forget the fact that it might not be a realistic job description that's that's a whole nother ball of, uh, uh yeah. ball of wax but if it's not uh if it's not attractive then people won't apply to it right where where today 75 percent of the talent in the market are what we would term passive this is this is from a study that was uh, done uh, by LinkedIn just earlier this year. Seventy five percent of the people are not they're not really looking for a job. They're not out there actively applying. They're they're working. Eighty seven percent of those people will take your call and they will talk about an opportunity with you. But you got to ask them because they're not even looking at your job descriptions. Twenty five percent of the people in the market are the ones who are looking for jobs and they're not often the ones you want. Yeah, here's, uh, you know? here's, yeah, here's one thing I learned from working for that staffing agency. Uh, it was the staffing agency was a division of a headhunting firm. And there are a couple of things there I learned there that actually are very valuable and have translated and other things I've done in, in my life. Uh, the headhunters who work there, who place people in executive level jobs and, and high level programmer jobs and such, uh, had a few roles. One of which is, is you, if, uh, is you do not go anywhere whether it's the it's some you know job bank or that internet they didn't want them to use never call somebody based on you have their resume the resume is never the first step ever yeah, yeah. That, that that's right. number one number two is basically exactly what you said which proves your point is that the majority of folks will be that type of passive person who will take a phone call from a headhunter, and even though they're not looking now, they may suddenly decide they're looking after they hear after they hear what you have to say. And those are and and that's actually what these companies were paying for. They're not paying you to sift. They weren't paying these headhunters to sift resumes. They were paying them to poach the best people from their competition. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and. And, and along with that, when they reached out to a prospect, they, they were also expected to come up with some combination of A, other resources 
within companies or within within their own company of somebody who may be somebody who can make a hiring decision because that's another place a headhunter should reach is to create job orders. And then the right. other is to ask, and then the other is uh, unless this person that they reached out to turned out to be the candidate they wanted to present to their own client, uh, to end the call with who else do you know is in this industry and would be qualified for something like I just described to you. Sure. So so notice they didn't say who, you know, is looking for a job. They said, who do you know is in this industry and you feel may be qualified so it wasn't a matter of, uh, hey, who do you know who has eight years experience in Microsoft Word and Excel? It was nothing like, like that. But, and, and the idea was for the headhunter to build their, net, their social network, so to speak, mm-hmm. of contacts they could reach out to on any opportunity to cross their desk. So if they're doing engineering and accounting jobs, if they get, if they get, like a, if they get a controller position they're trying to fill, they may have directors of engineering they can call and say, you know, who they're keeping in touch with, who nurturing to create that eventual job seeker who's currently passive and just stay on our radar screen by saying, hey, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a, a controller. Uh, who do you know is a controller? Right. Yeah, that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and here's what jumped out at me when you described how the sieve works, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is it yeah, sieve? you did. You got uh, it right on. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the things that jumped out at me is that just the way your system works can create that feedback loop from hiring managers that we discussed a moment ago, where many job descriptions are actually wish lists based on sometimes societal expectations. But you can go back to them and say, hey, you wanted eight years experience with this uh, with this particular software, we got 800 resumes. Best we got is four. And wait, we Googled that real quick and it turns out it's only four years old. You wanna adjust your job description maybe? <laughs> exactly. uh, so, you, so you could save, so you could spare them the embarrassment. And also if those 700 resumes are just not hitting the mark, you now have usable data. You can show that hiring manager. So instead of, challenge them saying, oh, well, you can't put this in a job description. No wonder you're not getting candidates because the job description sucks. You can say, we use your job description and in testing it in the marketplace, these are the results we got. So what percentage does this this match your goals? And if not, what adjustments should we make to get you the candidate you're looking for? Right. Right. And because, it's, it's, because, yeah, because yeah. when you're dealing with a when you're dealing with an executive, you're doing somebody in the sponsorship type position like that hiring manager is, uh, Shifting the conversation from themselves to the process allows them to to shift from being defensive about their authority and their skills and instead position themselves as an innovative, dynamic leader who is flexible and able to pivot based on industry trends. See what I did there? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 I mean, it's, it, it totally makes sense that it, it's not about making them wrong. It's yeah. about showing them what the opportunity is without being real obvious. Yeah. You, yeah. You come to me and say that I don't know. You come to me and say that my job description is flawed. I'm going to say, what the hell do you know about job descriptions and who the hell are you to tell me about anything right. anyway? I know right. more than you. You come to me and you say, we ran test A, B, and C. We got these resumes. This data comes up. I say, huh. That's interesting. So based on what you're telling me, if we make that four years experience and maybe we just delete these three lines, but then we add this other thing that I actually really care about now that I'm seeing results in real time, I bet you we hit what we're looking for. So go ahead and make those changes and try that. So it takes the ego out of it. Yeah. And, 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 and it, that's often the case, right? I mean, that's just good communication making somebody wrong is not going to be a way to get them on your side. Yeah. You're all, you're, you're both in there for the same purpose, solve the problem, fill the job, get the right people in. And it, the, you know, the, the, the professional, and that's not to say they're not both professionals, but the, the professional in the recruiting process, you know, they need to bring along their hiring managers. What if this is, this is a person who only hires a couple of people a year? Yeah. They're not going to have a good sense for how the process could or should work. No, I want the person to be able to build fences 
and code at the same time. Uh, you know, it's it, it, how do you how do you get across to somebody that that isn't really reasonable? Oh, and I want them to do it for seven fifty an hour. You know, net federal minimum wage. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of opportunity in that conversation of around building you know building rapport and being credible. Absolutely, uh, there there, cert there certainly is. And you know, speaking of leadership, and uh, I'm going to ask you a really important question in just a second. Speaking of leadership. You know, I've also discovered, I've had conversations about different types of leaders, like they say, let's say different types of presidents and what they accomplish, uh, whether it's of countries or of companies. And, uh, you know, you have some people who get elected to high office in their country and they are chaotic, they are bombastic, and they generally create a hurricane. They're time in office can be useful because it can create an unsettling that is necessary to set the stage for their successor who comes from a different mindset and a different energy to use the opportunity to create fundamental change that's needed. The analogy I use for that is let's say that you buy a lot with a building on it or you buy a piece of land with a house on it mm -hmm. and you want to knock that building or that house down and build your own. Great. How often is the company that knocks the old building down the same one that builds a new one? Yeah, yeah, it's not. Almost, set. almost never. Not yeah. only different skill set, but yeah. different licensing and different legal considerations because a demolition expert needs to deal with environmental impacts from how the dust is going to scatter. They need to be concerned uh, whether there's asbestos in there needs to be removed first. And if it's a larger structure, now we're dealing with dynamite. These are things that most general contractors can't, won't, and have no need to touch in order to be successful. And it can be the same with your business. So one person builds a fence and another person can code. Well, that can tell the hiring manager, this might not be a jack of all trades position, this might be two separate positions, or this may be something where you take a piece of this job and reassign it to an existing employee. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing from the outside looking in, looking at the mm -hmm. sieve. So yeah. where do you see all this going? I mean, I, I agree that artificial intelligence has actually gotten a lot more intelligence and we can use more of this to facilitate things like, recruiting candidates for jobs. So based on you being in this industry, I imagine you're probably going to say you see more of it, but more specifically, what are some of the trends you see coming up and what are some of the innovations that you're predicting? It, 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 artificial intelligence is, is an interesting concept. Um, often, uh, because we don't know any better, we use, we use that term pretty broadly, when often really what's happening is, is uh, more accurately characterizes as machine learning and um, natural language processing. Uh, you're taking advantage of the fact that computers are, are faster and smarter than they used to be. They, there was a big push early in the evolution, say four or five years ago into AI everything. And what you've seen is it's backed off a bit um, because of the concerns about unconscious bias that come into it whether because of the way the, the system learns or maybe even because of the, the way the algorithms were designed in the first place to, to yeah. uh, help make decisions. And so what's happening is it, the solutions for AI often are getting a little bit more specific, like the way we're using it. It's much more specific kind of implementation. And I think that we're cautiously moving towards additional AI. It's going to have a real impact in the area of process management, in in terms of improving the uh, the flow through the recruitment lifecycle, certainly you see it um, to a certain extent in communication, meaning the chatbots and whatnot. Although I had a, a fun experience with a chatbot the other day, I was I was doing some testing and <laughs> and uh, chatbot, you know, it said, um, okay, yeah, we'd like to schedule you for an interview. Um, please describe the. Um, you know, the position that you're applying for. And I, I thought, well, this is kind of funny. I said, what position? And the chatbot replied, okay, Wednesday at 7 p.m. 
<laughs> it's like, yeah. what? It didn't didn't even process at all what it was that I was telling it because I didn't understand the question, right? Yeah. And so, so I think that that we're we're going to continue to see increasing use of that, it, particularly in the area of of process and process improvement. Uh, one of the uh, sort of the the leading lights in our space, Josh Burson, re recently said that you know not only um, are recruiters probably never going to be out of this process because you need that human touch to keep the candidate uh -huh. engaged and to move them along but we probably don't have enough of them and then that was backed right. up by an article in the wall street journal about two weeks ago pointing to the shortage of recruiters around across industries there's only so much that automation can do companies have tried automating the process from beginning to end and somebody just shows up on their first day of work the, the challenge is the, the, the people who are being hired, because it is people, after all, that they, they don't feel engaged in, in what's going on with the organization. They're not right. part of the, uh, you know, they, they don't feel like they're part of what's going on because they haven't actually talked to anybody at that point. And so there's this real balance of keeping the process human focused without the process being overly human um, human managed because it, you know, it is sometimes less efficient depending on right. what it is you're talking about. Uh, scheduling interviews. Yeah. You should be able to do that with automation. Um, you know, uh, keeping candidates apprised of, of process steps. Yeah. Automation, but actually, you know, get, understanding the candidates needs and connecting those with the, the hiring manager, those kinds of things, they're, they're still, we still have that conversation. I, I was watching some recruiters this week and you know, people, the people were calling in because they were interested in these jobs. And the the entire focus of the recruiter was to really understand what that person's needs were and be able to show them how this job that they had called in about was going to meet their needs because these, the, the, the company I was, I was sitting with, they need to hire, they need to hire yeah. very badly. And you can't just turn that over to a machine. It isn't all just, uh, you know, uh, you know, high tech, um, computer management, somebody has to be able to process what's going on. And, and, you know, maybe someday we'll have computers that can process at that level. I, I don't think we do yet. We certainly no one, yeah. you know, one's pointed to it. It's, it's, you know, it's helping you with your sourcing, although even that can become, you gotta be careful. It, you know, it, you, you program it such that it, it's sourcing out certain areas or certain types for, for whatever reason. So it's, there, there's, there's a long way to go in in some of those more sensitive areas of our space but i i you know everybody's doing it Every, everybody's yeah. looking for solutions because everybody's looking to make recruiting more efficient uh, yeah. yeah okay no no surprise you know what i'm gonna this is one of those things where one of the tangential things you just said really struck me uh automation when it comes to scheduling appointments and I make and I devote an entire section of my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy, to this very topic. If you are in a place where you're scheduling people to come to a certain type of appointment on a regular basis, and you're actually having a human being facilitate that rather than using a scheduling app, the times have passed you by. And if somebody's trying to tell you, or you have a belief that, Oh, well, my market thinks that's cold and impersonal. They want a, a human being to do it. No, they don't. I'm telling you this because I've researched it hands-on. Uh, I'm going to give our listeners, I'm going to give you a bonus tip as well that inspired me. Uh, let's say you want to make new connections. And this could potentially be used by headhunters or, or, job, or recruiters or, or hiring personnel for all we know. So I'm going to throw it out there. When I've done this in when I've launched beta tests of various business ventures and services, I will identify a group of people from my social media list. I'll pick maybe 25 or 50. And I'll also identify maybe people outside the social media who I feel could either be clients or could lead me to a client. And I will send them a quick message. It's usually a very short email or if uh, their, their seeming primary mode is like Facebook Messenger or LinkedIn inbox. And the message just simply says, um, you may have seen that I recently launched X, or I may say, I'm planning to launch X as someone who, and then insert a, a statement that 
in three or four words captures what their brilliance and their passion is as someone who values is someone who values the ability you know someone who values new media as a communication tool what do you how can i get on your calendar for 10 minutes to get your advice so the idea is rather than position them as a prospect or a pitch target you position them as a mentor or a peer Mm-hmm. whose opinion you feel valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you phrase it as, how do I get on your calendar for a quick chat or a 10-minute chat? So you don't say, when can we talk? Could we talk? You say very specifically, how can I get on your calendar? I did this when I was doing a beta of one of in-demand experts' uh, product lines about two years ago. I picked th- I picked 50 people and just started firing out that message, just, Bam, 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 bam. Hmm. I had 14 of those conversations scheduled for the next day. <laughs> Here's what happened. Absolutely. Some of those folks did not even respond to being messenger. They went to my website, put themselves on my scheduler and said in the comments, you wanted to talk, here I am, or something like that. A lot of the rest of them responded they didn't type words they simply copy pasted the link to their scheduler now in a recruiting situation why would you have a receptionist or an administrative assistant or a gatekeeper of any sort deal with 20 rounds of back and forth trying to get a candidate in the office right when you can just establish that as the hiring manager I will see people on Tuesday afternoons, Thursday mornings, and if somebody cannot get away from their long hours job or they have a paranoid employer that's looking to fire them for interviewing other people, I will see people two Saturdays a week between 10 and 12. Make that available consistently, and when it's time to schedule a person to come in, just give them that link. And as far as fears that, oh, random people will get the link and they'll just start booking themselves in for interviews. You know, that'll happen once out of a million times. Get those fears out of your head. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You, 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 well, I heard one time. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, then then if that happens, then you then you control it differently. Uh, it's it's uh, we, we, we choose not to do things for silly reasons. Mike, I have two websites up www.schedulewithadam.com, www.reachoutcall.com. These are actual websites. Mm-hmm. The purpose of which is to facilitate people getting on my schedule without me needing to speak with them or them needing to speak with me first. Anybody can book themselves at any time. The forms ask them what they want to talk about so I can just show up prepared for the call. I've yeah. been doing this. I've been doing it this way for seven years. I have had two cases, two cases where something came in and this, and on spec, I noped out of it. And I'm a big boy. I just said, I just canceled it. <laughs> right. They, right. Didn't, they didn't speak with me to book it. I didn't have to give them a long explanation to cancel it either. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys, it's, 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 so, it's so funny how, how technology can just people people become slaves to it i i I just date myself a little bit back in the day i had a um i had a pager carried a pager before cell phones and people said oh my god it's like a ball and chain i said no it's not i decide what to do with what comes across the pager right and you know and it's the same thing with these other tools your 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 story is a great one it's it you decide what happens with those uh events that get booked through your calendar link. Yeah, and, and, and you know what, aside from those two out of hundreds, we're yeah. just on spec. Um, in one case, I hated the person, there was no way I was speaking to them, so I just canceled it. In another one, it was just such a bad fit. I could just tell by the way they filled it out and me doing some research on them, like five minutes of research. I said, nah, this this, this is a nope. And I just politely you know, sent a brief message um, without addressing the issues, politely uh, canceled the call. But mm-hmm. I will point to like maybe 40 or 50 other appointments that I knew already knew were an email. So I would uh, build up a, an email with what they what they need or the answer to the question. And I would say, look, I, I see you scheduled an appointment to discuss this. 
Um, I think the answer to your question is X, or it turns out I've already answered this. It's on this post. So yeah. check this out, and then let me know if you still want the call. And in most cases, they'll say, oh, that's just what I need. I was just trying to get a hold of you. Um, no need for the call. And then some showed up for the call, whatever. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's so funny how people can get so caught up um, and, it, and for no particular reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think and, and part of the reason I phrase that that way is it wards off tire kickers who just want to get me on the phone to turn whatever their initial approach is into them trying to sell me on something and mm -hmm. cannot see beyond the short term and into the long term of relationship building. Because yeah, exactly. if their if their actual intention was to flip the conversation around immediately and put a hard sell on me, I've just shown them by proactively answering their question and being a resource that, no, I actually believe you're here because you wanted the answer to that question. Here it is. Yep. Yeah, it's great. It's great to it's great to change up uh, mm -hmm. how you interact with people, particularly these days where, you know, all the sort of the, the traditional methods of, of connecting um, have, you know, they're starting to fall by the wayside and we haven't really figured out how to effectively integrate the new ones. You know, you think of all the time we spend on Zoom and, you know, is that the same thing as being face to face? That's a question that we're going to be struggling with, I'm sure, yeah. for, for, for quite a while. You know, uh, just really two quick points to bring this up. And uh, and then I'm going to turn over the stage to you one more time. Uh, there are studies. Uh, people can look them up. I think I have them on some of my websites that show that in this day and age, particularly with how the demographics of the overall workplace have shifted, the vast majority of people that you call on a telephone, pick up the phone and call them without a scheduled appointment to call at that time will, and I've seen numbers, 70%, 80% will not answer the phone, even if they're in a position to answer the phone and they recognize that it's you calling on their caller ID. Oh, interesting. That last part is really interesting. I mean, the yeah. first part's not a surprise, but these are these are people you uh, know. Wow. In fact, in fact, there are a few ways they may respond if they do. One of which is to let you leave your message and then listen to it and then call you back. Sure. With the answer so they don't have to spend time on the phone needlessly in their view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another could be is they will respond to you in writing. They'll say, and they'll send you an email said, got your message. And they'll respond by email. And then a third way that they may deal with it is if it's relatively likely that this is a cell phone to cell phone type conversation is they'll let your call ring, not listen to your voicemail if you leave one and then text you back. Saw you called. What's up? Yeah, Right. There are some major corporations, I believe Coca-Cola is one of them, that are actually phasing out voicemail. Interesting. I, and that is and, a, and, that's and, a new and, one on me. In favor of internal messaging systems for employees to communicate yeah. with each other yeah. and scheduling apps to manage conversations with outside parties. Interesting. So when it comes to recruiting, the old method of you know what? I'm going to find a way to call the CEO and get the CEO to call me back. Yeah, you know, you can try that. Uh, but the CEO probably has an electronic gatekeeper now. It doesn't even rely on their executive assistant. They have a piece of software that is now sure. their gatekeeper. Yeah. So yeah. If, you thought, if you thought it was hard to just talk to the personnel manager now, <laughs> just imagine with technology. So what I believe that you're doing here, and I think this is what, why the Civ is so valuable and your work is so important, is you are creating a framework to facilitate the conversation and management of job posting data collection so that people actually can connect to good jobs as it will optimize the job description creation and the revenue, excuse me, the resume sorting processes to remove some of the human fall downfalls out of the process. So I think it's actually going to create more connections over time. And it's going to help companies with not only their success in hiring, but also their retention metrics. 
Yeah, you you hit it right on the head. That's uh, that is a good statement for what what we like to talk about is it, it creates the opportunity for the conversations to take place, and because it's eliminating the unnecessary processing. Exactly. So we're at the top of the hour here. I just want to point out your website to our listeners one more time. It is www dot resume com. i'm going to spell that for one time for the people all jogging otherwise come to the website look at the show notes it's it's a resume r-e-s-u-m-e civ s-i-e-v-e so r-e-s-u-m-e s-i-e-v-e dot com and yeah. when they go to that when they go to that website just tell us in a couple sentences what they have to look forward to they, uh, they can get an overview of what it is that we do they can sign up for a free trial you know, it's it's the usual uh, website activity, I guess, is the way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, and I and, yeah, and uh, and I can see that it's very easy to see. You yep. know, who's running the company? I believe there's a demo here. It's a really good FAQ, and uh, when you visit that website, you will see uh, you know tel telephonic, electronic, and social forms of connecting. If you have any questions or would be interested in possibly bringing this technology into your organization, and so with that. Uh, with that, Michael Yinger, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. Adam, I, pre I appreciate the conversation, and I've enjoyed it, and, and I hope people find value. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.